Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Jones delivers. Manchester, brace yourself. Rangers, 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 easy, okay, okay. Well, the fans are very strong. You know, we've got a battle fever on, but the fans are Rangers to win the game. Good afternoon, uh, everybody, and welcome to the Battle Fever podcast. Um, we are starting off today with our famous fan series, um, and in episode one, it is ex-Premier League referee um, Jeff Winter, who we all know is... A strong, strong red supporter follows us all over the country and promotes us in a very positive light. And we're delighted to have him. Good afternoon, Jeff. Good afternoon, Scott. Now, you refereed in 220 professional games in English football, 185 of those were in the Premier League. How was it? You know, you know more than I, Joe. I didn't know that. <laughs> Do a research, Jeff. <laughs> um, how did you get into becoming a referee? Because I was crap at playing football. <laughs> so it's hope for me yet then, is it? <laughs> well, um, as a kid, obviously, I was football daft and I wanted to be a footballer. But um, when I didn't get picked for the school team, team I think that was the early warning signs. Um, <laughs> and I became a football fan, you know, and I, I think I first went to watch Middlesbrough play my local team when I was about seven or eight. Um, in those days, you, you couldn't just go to their game as kids. It wasn't as safe as what it is nowadays. <laughs> but one of the big boys from the street was trusted to take me. And um, after much pleading, I was allowed to go. And then just went to the home games until I was about 16. And then started going to all the away games with all the problems that that entailed. In the, uh, I um, was an avid Borough fan. And uh, what I started work... Um, an old pun I know but I started working in a bank and that's where I think the fans very very clever football fans later on in life saw one of my customers at the bank sort of was something to do with the county FA he was the secretary and he um, set me up and persuaded me to take a referees course 
and I had no interest whatsoever. Went through the course and started doing a print, fortunately, and it probably changed my life. Was there a ground that when you were refereeing in England, was there a ground that you most stick for kind of from fans and others? Obviously, we know you're a huge Middlesbrough fan, so would you get most stick at kind of like St James's Park and the Stadium of Light and stuff? Oh, yeah, fat, smoggy bastard used to rain <laughs> down from the terraces uh, whenever. Whenever I went to Sunderland or Newcastle, um, but you know it's the same perception in Scotland. Football fans just have conspiracy theories, and um, you know, as a referee, it's much easier in England to Scotland because of the geography of the country. Yeah. I would never referee Middlesbrough. Wouldn't be allowed to referee Middlesbrough because I'm from Middlesbrough and I'm known as being a Middlesbrough fan. Or you know, prior to my refereeing career, knew I used to go and watch Middlesbrough. But, you know, in Scotland, it's impossible to do that. If you've got a referee who's going up the ladder and is probably one of the best referees around, and he lives somewhere, as most people do in Scotland, you know, the major conurbations are Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, so, you know, if you're based somewhere within 15 miles of Glasgow, and if you were debarred from refereeing Glasgow teams because you were from Glasgow or debarred from refereeing Rangers or Celtic. You know, I could go to Chelsea, Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester, and they were all, you know, 150, 250 miles away. So it was much easily easier for referees to be geographically placed away from what would be perceived as the local rivals. What happens to most referees, it's just an occupational hazard. Yeah. Um, in terms of... What what's probably more relevant is some grounds you loved going to because you always seemed as if you had a good game there. Um, Tottenham was one of my favourites because uh, whenever I went to White Hart Lane, there were always big matches. I did Tottenham Arsenal twice there, including the first game that Sol Campbell played back at White Hart Lane for Arsenal against Spurs. And that was probably the most evil atmosphere I've ever refereed in front of the venom that was coming down from the terraces. I mean, when we were on the way to the game, sort of going down um, Tottenham High Road about half past 12 in the cars, the streets were already lined with Tottenham fans who were waiting for the Arsenal bus to come in and they were just giving him absolute nut of pelters. And that happened for the full 90 minutes. And in fairness to Saul Campbell, he was brilliant throughout the game. You know, he just stuck to his job. Um, I used to love refereeing at Everton and at Liverpool, you know, grounds where the crowd are close to the pitch, great atmosphere, um, grounds that could be particularly nasty if things weren't going well. Birmingham yeah. City, believe it or not, and obviously Leeds, um, Leeds were never too keen on um, decisions going against their team. <laughs> but it was two lesser grounds, whole City's old ground, both Ferry Park, and Rochdale, when I was refereeing in the lower divisions, um, and whenever I went there, I could be 89 minutes into the game and you just knew something was going to happen. And whenever I went there, there was always a problem. I sent Dean Windass off as a kid playing for Bradford City at Hull, and he's never let me forget about it ever since. Um, but whenever I went to those two grounds, it wasn't so much that the fans were uh, out for me, but they always remember the fans. Fans have got wonderful memories. Yeah. Well, that's the bastard who sent so-and-so off last time. <laughs> um, so, you know, be, 
before you've even blown your whistle, you're getting it. So I mean, it's the same in Scotland, isn't it? You know, what oh, I mean, every, fo- every referee that has the audacity to give a, a throwing against Rangers, <laughs> he's going to be hated for the rest of his the rest of his days. But um, happy days. Do you think that's why Dean Windass kicked the ball off you? Uh, and we always have banter about that. Um, but, you know, I sent him off very early in my career, probably in my first or second season. And um, it was for language, you know. He, he screamed. Well, it wasn't at me, but he just screamed out some foul language. Well, once I got a little bit, send a professional player off every time he swears, you'd, you'd have a five-a-side game at the end of it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. He, he shot me to prominence with that incident at Liverpool when he was playing for Bradford City because I appeared on BBC's um, Question of Sport on what happened there. <laughs> you see him absolutely batter the ball and it hits me in the back of the head. I'm not too sure to the, this day whether it was deliberate because it was probably the only shot he got on target all night. <laughs> That's, that's wrong. That's wrong, actually, because he'd actually scored home goal, up in goal for Bradford. And I, they're winning one nil at Anfield, fighting against relegation, and I've given Liverpool a penalty, and that was the equaliser. So I could imagine he, no, no, indeed, no, I could imagine he was a little bit aggrieved at that decision. I think so. I think so. How, how hard did you find it managing guys like Windass on the park, Beckham, Scholes, Gerrard? Um. The, many of the players, some of the ones with um, sort of bad reputations, um, I got on all right with because in those days you could have a bit of banter with the players. You know, if they mm-hmm. give you a mouthful, I used to give them it back. Um, nowadays, we just live in a totally different um, world. I mean, yeah. a, couple of, a couple of weeks ago, there was a Bournemouth player had ran to the press complaining about referee John Moss because John Moss had said some... He'd give, John Moss a mouthful and criticised him and John Moss had said to him don't take it out on me you're in the bottom three because of the way you're playing not because of the way I'm refereeing fair and enough thought, yeah which is fair enough but the play, you know if, you, if you're going to dish it out in life you've got to be prepared to take it um, and of course um, he'd ran to the press complaining about the referee and it was funny because my big mate up in Scotland uh, one of my big mates is Alex Ray and Alex Reid put something on social media to the effect of, if I'd have ran to the press every time Jeff Winter said something to me, I'd have had an office there, you know, <laughs> because, and that, that was the way that was the way to man manage players, you know. If someone come up to you and crucified you over a decision, yeah. the next time he the next time he made a misplaced pass, I'd just run alongside him and go, that was shite, that, <laughs> you know, and I mean. Then you get a smile out of them, and fair enough, you know, if you're going to hand it out, you've got to take it. Nowadays, you wouldn't get away with that. You know, the referees are all deadly serious, and, you know, they've got to to be, because, you know, that's what their bosses expect. They don't expect any banter. They don't expect man management. They just want to see, you know, yellow cards, red cards, when appropriate. And... To, to me, the art of keeping 22 players on the pitch was the important thing. Uh-huh. And, you know, nowadays, you, I mean, with the, with the shutdown down in England, we've been having, I don't know whether you've got it up in Scotland, but we've had match of their day on a Saturday night. Yeah. Where the, the, it's good because I've been on match of the day the last <laughs> two Saturdays. And do you know the and, difference, Jeff? You can see the referee smiling on the park. You don't see well, that nowadays. 
I always say that whenever I'm talking to former players and, you know, you're seeing people on the circuit around the country, and I always say, when was the last time you saw a ref smile? Because they're under so much pressure. Mm-hmm. In our day, you could have a bit of banter. But mind you, when you see these games on Match of the Day, the tackles that are going in, um, <laughs> you know, they'd be World War Three if they happened <laughs> nowadays. The game's, the, the game's actually gone softer. A foul now is slightly late. That's the kind. Um, that's the kind that Alex Ray used to make every old film game. <laughs> uh, he, he used to make them. He used to make them in the Masters football after he retired. <laughs> Alex, Alex has never changed. But I mean, there was a game on the telly um, on the highlights program last weekend, and it was um, Arsenal against Everton, and Don Hutchinson's made a two-footed challenge that was absolutely <laughs> lethal. It, it wasn't a red card, it was prison, honestly. And um, after the tackles got in, I'm watching it on the telly, I, I'm, I get on quite well with Don because he's a, a, he's a true Scot from the northeast of England. And, <laughs> he's a um, Buenos as well, isn't he? I, uh, I sent him a text um, I sent him a text saying, how didn't you get sent off for that? And he just replied <laughs> to me, referee, didn't even give a free kick. Um, I think Martin Keown said it was worse. It was a worse tackle than he'd ever committed. So, but there was another game on as well. They showed the highlights of um, the day Arsenal won the league at Old Trafford, and I was fourth official, and Man United Arsenal were the top two teams down here then. And the tackles flying in. I mean, Phil Neville must have set off in Livingston and landed in Glasgow for one of them. Honestly. He's flowing and just wipes someone out. I mean, <laughs> tackle, tackles like that nowadays with the, how strict the referees have got to be. Honestly, there'd be jail time. There wouldn't be suspensions. <laughs> but, you know, we, we, we could have a laugh about it then. And players like some of the lads you've mentioned, I mean, there were certain players who you couldn't have crack with, you couldn't have banter with. You know, Roy Keane was a player. I think the longest conversation I ever had with Roy Keane was when at, at a toss-up and he said heads. You know, I mean, you never... He was that focused on the game. He never got involved with you. You couldn't try and man-manage him. Other stars, other players, you could have a bit of crack with. I mean, Alex being a perfect example. I've refereed Wolves against Leicester. And in midfield, it was sort of him and Paul Dickoff. And they're both a little bit on the small side, but both very, very vociferous and both very um, at each other. And these two have squared up. And they're, they're, I didn't know whether they were going to hit each other or whatever. And I've just gone across to them. And I mean, I didn't particularly know Dickoff that well, but I knew Alec quite well. And I've just looked at the pair of them. I said, I tell you what, full-time whistle, centre circle. I'll have the pair of you. <laughs> and um, Alex just burst out laughing. And Dickoff's looking at me with a like, I'm a referee's never said that to me before. <laughs> but it ended, up, it ended up with a smile. They got on with it. No yellow cards, no red cards. N.C. Pollens was another character. He's a big mate of, of Alec Ray's. And N.C. had come screaming at you. I, I used to call him, a, I don't know whether it's a term that's used in Scotland, but I used to call him a tub thumper because he was one of these that used to put it on for the crowd. Look at me, I'm screaming <laughs> at the ref. Um, and he'd get the fans on, on his side. And he'd come up to me and um, give us a gobful. And I just turned back on him. I said, look, if I wanted to hear it, I'd have stayed at home with her all afternoon, not come here. 
and I fair enough rep you get on with it right. I just I'm sure there is some banter out there on the pitch nowadays but it just doesn't appear that way um you know I mean if I was in the middle of a if only if I'd have been in the middle of an old firm game I'd have got into you know your main combatants in midfield where all your ha hassle's going to be it would usually be Scott Gra Brown and anyone else in a blue shirt but <laughs> you know I'd get hold of them early doors and you've got to tell them you're the boss and you've got to take the authority because yeah. if you I often think in Scotland and I mean this just, this is going to get me slung off your program but you know <laughs> there are there, there are some good referees in Scotland you know referees are not out there to give every decision to your team yeah. that might come as a big shock to a lot of football fans but you know they're not there to give decisions to your team they're supposed to be out there to give decisions as they see them and um you know in the heat of a battle the referee has got to take control and I think in Scotland, quite often, too much goes on early in the game. And then, you know, the referee doesn't get hold of it. And then in the last 10, 15 minutes of a game, it's carnage and there's cards yeah. flying around like confetti. Now, I know people will turn around and say, if you was a, a referee caution too many players early on, you've set your standard. And then you're bound to going to have to send someone off. Well, if you have to, that's down to the players. That's not down to you. Right. But if you've got, if you've gone out there and clamped down on tackles and certainly on descent, you know, if somebody give me a gobful, them and the other 21 players on the pitch are pretty. And if you get hold of a game early on, I'm not saying somebody isn't going to commit a kamikaze tackle late on, and you've got to send him off. Some things are out of your hands. But in terms of getting hold of a game, you've got strong. Also, I've read up a wee bit as well, and I think you can announce this on your Twitter, but when Gerard was announced two years ago, you were the referee in charge when he made his Premier League debut, and you were the fourth official when he made his England debut, am I right? Green at Liverpool versus Blackburn Rovers. And it was very late on in the game, you know, when some clubs just introduced a sub to get them a, a feel for it. Yeah. And obviously, he was just another teenage... Um, obvious sensation at Liverpool somewhere. and then as it would happen when he made his debut for England in a friendly international at Wembley what tends to happen on the friendly internationals is that in those days the referee and the two assistants would come from another country um, I believe on occasion they were from Slovenia Gerard had obviously established himself in the Liverpool first team um, and he was coming on as sub and um, I, as the fourth official, had to check his boots and obviously knew him by then, you know, wished him all the best. And that was his England debut. And in my final season, the Grand National at Aintree, and uh, a laddie from our estate where I live on Teesside um, was rode the winner. So I'd won a few bob on that. And then on the uh, Sunday afternoon, I refereed for the last time at Anfield I fought official and he'd had a word with Stevie and at the end of the game they brought his Liverpool shirt in signed that's by it. Stephen Gerrard and that's not getting auctioned that's mine I'm keeping <laughs> that and Fantastic. then just, just to cap the weekend off perfectly got in the car 
there to tell me that I'd been appointed a referee of the FA Cup final. So that's what you call if Carlsberg did weekends. That was <laughs> that was as good, that was as good as it got. Won the national, won a few bob, got Stevie Gerrard's shirt, and got the FA Cup final. <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> What are your earliest memories of Rangers as a football club, and not necessarily as a fan? Just my early, my earliest memories was when I was really a kid. I just loved Jim Baxter. It was Jim Baxter that initially attracted me to Rangers, but then as you get a little bit older, you you read about the history, you read about the clubs, you know what Rangers stands for, and as importantly, what other teams stand for, and you make your choice. And for Ian, um, I wasn't free at weekends. But I did start coming up in the 90s to European games. Glory under. Only came to the big <laughs> match. Only came to the big matches. Um, but then when my refereeing career finished, started coming up. statement Because the great thing is, since Rangers got back um, into Europe, you know, and in the two successful years, we won't talk about the first one, and that, <laughs> horrible, that horrible night in Luxembourg. Um, that was the... I was with a oil bus and um, of my life because everybody's, you know, going into dialogue about what should happen and what shouldn't happen, who should play, who shouldn't. And when you've got beaten, you just want to get your eyes closed and go to sleep and forget <laughs> about it. But um, with Rangers being in Europe, it meant that Rangers were playing home or away on a Thursday, who I, I worked for on, on a match day in, in the lounges on the hospitality side. They'd be playing Tuesday, Wednesday and Saturday. So I've had, until the shutdown, um, you know, a few brilliant years that I've virtually seen all the Rangers games travelling around the lower league grounds, as most people, you know, would, you know, didn't like Rangers. None of us liked us. None of us wanted to be there. But going to our broth on a Monday night from Middlesbrough, um, you know, they were the tales, gymnastic trips. And there's a fair few of us go from down here. So, you know, we've had great banter. It's not just about 90 minutes of football. You know, when, when you're in the car with some people for six, seven hours of a day, there's got to be more than just football to talk about a couple of seasons. And was obviously booked up to go to Bale Leverkusen until this present um, crisis erupted um, and got to know a lot of people, you know, Hillsborough. Um, so, you know, there's always a bed if I want to stay over, um, <laughs> you know, and there's definitely always a drink if I want to drink. But <laughs> most most of the time I'm always driving, so <laughs> I, can't, I can't join in with the um, normal Scottish hospitality. What's the most memorable Rangers game you've been at? Do you know, I get asked questions like this about, not only about Rangers games, about Borough games, about most memorable match you refereed and everything just, when you get old, this will happen to you one day, when you get old, you get you go senile and you lose your memory and uh, I, can't remember, <laughs> I can't remember some things, but I mean, there's so many classics. I mean, the League Cup final against St Mirren, you know, when we were down to... Nine men was, yeah. and still won. And um, Kevin, and I, Ke by the way, Craig Thompson did have it in for Kevin Thompson as much as I said it off. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, anybody would have sent. Um, oh no, I was I was thinking of, there was a Celtic game where a Celtic player got sent off in a cup final as well, wasn't there? I think anybody would have sent him off. But um, I mean, I know sometimes, and it's probably just because I haven't got a very good memory. 
But I mean, the Braga game this season at home. Wow. Oh, you know, that was... <laughs> I mean, we, we were dead and buried and goodbye and good night. Some, the subway loyal had already started making their way to the exits. Um, and that was... I mean, when, we, we, when everybody's getting the pubs or getting home straight after a game, I've got like... By the time I've dropped one of my pals off in Durham and Darlington <laughs> and one thing and another... I normally get home from midweek game about half past two in the morning. And, you know, so if you've got beaten, you know, and we've had a few sort of, not so much in Europe, obviously, but, you know, we've had games on a midweek where this season, even, you know, in the bad run after Christmas, where things haven't gone well. I can tell you something, it's a bloody long drive home. Oh, but that, that night after that night after Braga, I was on our drive before I'd left Glasgow because we were absolutely buzzing. Um, <laughs> and those, I mean, I always say, I mean, the fans and Rangers fans, they're there for St Mirren, they're there for Livingston, um, you know, on Saturday afternoons where it's up to us to make the atmosphere because there's not any sort of away fans um, to do it. But, you know, the European nights, even going back to, you know, the 90s when I used to come up with McCoyst and Haightley and what have you, the atmosphere on a European night, um, well, it's a bit arrogant to say it's the best in the world because you don't know. But I'll tell you some of there won't be many better. No. Um, and um, hopefully, I keep saying it, hopefully sooner rather than later we'll be back to experience them again. Well, that was, that was my team when I grew up. That was my... The nineties was my Rangers team that I grew up, and that's how I fell in love with the club. Basically, it was them, my wee boys three, and I'm gonna kind of have grown up and seen us getting horsed every week of Celtic. You know, we need to we need to get back to where we were when I was a kid. You know, and winning a league again. So, I mean, I am slightly different in that. Maybe it's my age or what it is. I don't know. I mean, I. Of course, you, you know, when you travel, it doesn't matter whether you're travelling from Belfast, London or from, you know, um, just around the corner, you live on Paisley Road West, it still gets you if your team doesn't win. But I am, I am now capable of going to a game and once I've left the stadium, I don't want the debate. I can't be bad in all the conspiracy theories and all that. It's happened. You know, football fans, another thing that sort of pisses me right off is when football fans say he wasn't trying. I can tell you something, you've never been on a football pitch because those players are hurting. The difference is we are hurting on the terraces because we're getting beat. They're hurting because they're getting humiliated and somehow they just weren't good enough. And that wasn't their fault, you know, that's what we had at the time. But they wanted to dig a hole and disappear. And, you know, I'm not one for coming coming backward and complaining about this player and that player. You can only do your best track players in Division 3, Division 2, on all the way up. Um, it's gone. So, you know, once I leave a football ground, we've got beat. Not happy, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it for the next 200 miles. You know, get the music right. on, have a bit of banter. You take that attitude. But... Uh, my bank balance will tell you that I am a true fan. Um, <laughs> I, I just, I just think at times like now, I know the old Bill Shankly statement of you know football is more important than life. You try telling that someone that's lost a child, you want to call it. Um, so you know, a game of football is a game of football. We'll always be back out, and the real fans, you know, I, the people I've got to know, 
the, the characters um, that go all around Europe, never miss a match. They were there at Green that first Sunday afternoon, and it was spawny, really, in the end. When you consider seven days before, we didn't know whether we'd have a club to watch. We didn't know whether we'd ever watch Rangers again. I'm not going to get upset about one piss poor performance or one player who shouldn't be wearing the Rangers shirt. And as we've seen in a relatively short space of time, Rangers have got back to being where they should be, challenging at the very top. Yep. Um, Can you remember where you were on Helicopter Sunday? in Scotland um, I've seen Rangers win the league three times on the final day I was at Tannadice I was at Kilmarnock and I was at Easter Road but um, I, the simple answer I can't remember where I was last week I've got a bloody phone but I when, when I when I found out about it I was quite pleased <laughs> uh, Alex we were listening to Alex and Alex had said that and he told a story about how you were the first person that he told that he signed a pre-contract in 2004. Can you, can you remember him telling you that? <laughs> At Newcastle versus Wolves. Um, so obviously the referee and the assistant referees have gone out to warm up. And I was just stood by the pitch side and the Wolves players were warming up. And he ran across, oh, all right, big man. And he said, have you heard? And I said, well, I've listened to this podcast. Any Rangers fan being told they're going to get a chance to play for Glasgow Rangers. That was Alex Ray. That was the, the wee man. And he was honestly, you could see him. He was that excited. Um, he knew I was a Rangers fan. I don't want to come up, Jeff. Let me know. And a lot of people in life say things like that. And, and it's just easy. It's cheap words. You know what I mean? Um, oh yeah, give us a ring. I'll give. I'll let you, you can come round to my restaurant for a meal yeah. or whatever. When you ring them up, um, oh, the following season, I didn't sort of ring him the following day, but once he'd signed and got buried in, um, I rang him, uh, texted him a message, and said, and he just said, "Do you want to come up? Because they were playing Celtic in the League Cup um, in a midweek game, and um, invited me up. And you know, Alex isn't doesn't drink." which um, obviously he did in his earlier days, but um, he's not, he hasn't drank now for about 20 years, I think. And uh, even though that was the case, he um, after the game, he said, oh, you've come up to Glasgow, and he took me down into town. I think we went to players and, you know, friends of players, and we had a night there. And then, obviously, him and I have stayed close ever since. Whenever he's on, I'm going to, I'm going to grass him up now. Whenever he's, when it, whenever he's appearing on the radio and there's a big contentious referee decision, so that he gets it right. So half the stuff he comes out with, it's not his fault, it's my fault. Um, <laughs> but late, lately, I've been working with him on the after-dinner circuit and he's a quality act. I mean, he's ranges through and through. Funnily enough, him and I don't get many invites to Celtic Boys Club events. <laughs> Working with him because we we rub off on each other and we tell each other you know the tales like one I mentioned about Dickoff and um, he, we talk about a couple of things when him and I were on the same field but then also he tells some fantastic stories about his experiences and see it means as much to him wearing that blue shirt and playing for Rangers if he'd have if he'd have came to Rangers and played for 10 minutes as a substitute, that would have been his day. And another player, and I'm 
feel there are many, many more Rangers players who are the same, and I know they are, but another Rangers player that I got to know because he spent a bit of time down here in Middlesbrough, my hometown club, was Andy Halliday. And when Andy got the chance to sign for Rangers, probably upon his own admission, if Rangers had been, you know, at the top in Europe, he wouldn't have come to the club. He came to the club when Rangers had to regroup in the lower divisions. But that boy, um, I remember his dad's an absolutely massive Rangers fan. And um, Andy introduced me to his dad at the game. And I said to him, oh, have you ever been down to Middlesbrough? And he says, oh, once or twice. And I went, you don't you come down to watch your lad play? And he says, I'm a Rangers fan. He knows that. <laughs> and I thought, that just summed it up brilliantly. Your own son is playing professional football three hours down the road. But Rangers are playing. Got to get your, pri- got to get your priorities right, son. That's fantastic. And, uh, um, when Andy pulls on that shit, it hurt me. It really did hurt me when a couple of seasons ago he was getting a little bit of grief. Um, not yeah. from the opposing fans, you expect that. But he was getting some fans, um, some abuse from our own fans, small minority. And I thought, you just haven't got a clue. That guy would bleed. He'd cut himself in half, the Glasgow Rangers. And um, fortunately, it's not only Alex and Andy Halliday. There are, there are many more players who seem as if they come to the club. Um, some of them, not even with Rangers background. You know, it might be easy if you're born in Glasgow and your family's Rangers supporters. But, you know, there are many players, foreign players, that have come to the club from further afield, fell in love with it and become part of that family and um, never going to change. Yeah. You've been quite fortunate because you've had Middlesbrough and Rangers had a cracking European run in recent years. Did you go to any of the finals in 2006 or 2008? I went to both of them. Fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, and both of them we got battered. So <laughs> <laughs> qualifying qualifying games. When Middlesbrough were in Europe, the two seasons we were in Europe, I just finished refereeing. But in those days, bizarrely, Thursday nights used to be very, very big on the after dinner circuit. And with me being a new kid on the block, I was getting bookings left, right, and centre. So you know, you'd obviously get booked months and months in advance. And then the fixtures were determined. So, unfortunately, I didn't follow Middlesbrough away in Europe because whenever they were playing, I was I always had something in the diary. Right. Mr. Fairfew, in fact, most of the home games, but did manage to get to the absolutely crazy game against Stour Bucharest at the <laughs> Riverside that was on par with... Rangers Braga, you know, it, it was it, in fact, it was an even bigger comeback from Middlesbrough. Yeah. But then I, I went out to Eindhoven for the final where we came second. And then um, the story, obviously, of Main Road, uh, sorry, Main Road, showing my age, the story of uh, <laughs> Manchester City. Um, I had tried, tried, and better tried to get a ticket for the final, couldn't get one for love and money. Everybody that I knew, obviously, I wasn't a season ticket holder at Rangers. And, and even if you had been, there was tens of thousands wanted to go. I'd even rang me, me mate, Alec Ray, up and he says, Jeff, you're joking. I can't even get one for myself, you know. So at 10 to 4 on the afternoon of the game, I'm um, sat at home, been and got a couple of takeouts in to watch it on the telly. 
and that was my going to be my final. And then the phone went, and a pal of mine from um, Southern Ireland, um, who <laughs> it's Scottish team play in green and white hoops. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> he, yes, um, I knew him because I'd done some events for him at Dundalk Football Club. And he was involved with the Irish FA and one thing and another. And he rang me up at 10 to 4 in the afternoon. And I'm sat in my chair in front of the telly. And he said, do you want to go to the game tonight? And I went, stupid question. <laughs> and I started putting my shoes on and standing up while I'm having the conversation. The conversation was basically to say he'd picked up a ticket through the somebody he knew and he was being offered thousands of pounds for it obviously in Manchester but if I could get to Manchester it was mine and by the time I'd put the by the time the conversation was over I was already in my car driving <laughs> and Manchester's about 120 miles from Middlesbrough and I've left you know and also you're hitting the sort of tea time traffic on the M62 which can be a bit naughty <laughs> Well, by half past six, I was parked up about half a mile from the ground. And, of course, as, as everybody will recall um, that, that wasn't partying in the centre of Manchester, as you approached the ground, the police and security had put this great big circle round the ground and you couldn't get in to be close to the ground unless you've got your match ticket. You had to show your ticket to get through yeah. that cordon. Because I haven't got my match ticket. I'm meeting the guy outside the main, the main stand. Oh, shit. You know, I've driven all the way and I can't get in. And then I thought, I had, um, fortunately, because of the work I was doing at Middlesbrough Football Club, I had a Middlesbrough Football Club press pass. So I've just pulled my press pass out and I go, look, I'm, I'm press, I'm working, and I've got to pick my ticket up from the press office. I all right, get yourself through. And got myself through. And then there was, there's uh, hordes of people stood around before they went in. First person I see I recognise is Alex Ray. And I said, oh, you managed to get yourself one then. And he, says, he looks at me and he goes, well, it looks like you've been successful. Met my new best friends, my Celtic supporting Irishman, and um, actually sat with him during in the Rangers seats sat with him during the course of the match so I've got to be honest with you it's the first time I've ever watched Rangers play sat with a Celtic fan <laughs> and um, I dare say it'll probably be the last <laughs> and we just came up to the kind of present day then Jeff basically how, how far do you think we are away from landing 55 and what do you what do you make of the job done with Steven Gerrard so far I think we've done fantastic. I mean, he's brand new manager. Again, it pisses me totally off when people... He hasn't got a clue. He's tactically unaware. Yeah, this bloke who played, what, 100 and odd times for England, you know, was one of the best English footballers of my generation. In my opinion, probably the best Englishman. Um, he hasn't got a clue, but um, Big Billy from Bathgate on the terraces, who's 25 stone, he could do a better job. Um, unbelievable, yeah. Um, I think he's done wonders, you know, when you think where we are to where we were. And there's still still room to go. You know, I was actually, I missed um, the the old firm game at Christmas. I was actually with, um, um, with a former Rangers player 
um, one Mr Nesbitt in in a bar in Lanzarote. Oh, be good. Well, what watching that game and. Um, after that game, as I said, 55's there this season. Unfortunately, what went wrong, you know, maybe the, maybe that victory actually put us into the favourites position and we didn't know how to handle it. But, you know, we know this season it's fell away a little bit, though miracles can happen, you know. Yep. Um, you can't appoint the title to someone who hasn't officially won it. Correct. Anything can happen. Ask Steven Gerrard, Liverpool were going to win the league against, and they lost to Chelsea, didn't they? You know, anything yep. can happen in football. That was my little satirical dig, by the way. Um, <laughs> but, and they were um, also three down in, in Istanbul when Gerrard inspired the comeback. Oh, that was some game. That was <laughs> some game. Um, and, you know, I mean, that was probably one of the best individual performances I've ever seen from a footballer because it wasn't Liverpool that got back into the game. It was it was Steven Gerrard. And you know, if he follows and I'm sure he does knowing the guy, if he if his attitude is like that, then he will eventually get the players that he wants and fifty five will come. Now, unfortunately at the moment, when will it come? We don't know because I just don't see an end to this break, you know. You can't, you can't say that I've got to stand two metres away from you in a supermarket and can't go to the pub, but expect 22 footballers to be running around a football pitch. Yep. Um, and I just think the Rangers faithful have got to stay behind. My big fear is not when Steven Gerrard um, wins 55. It's when Steven Gerrard leaves the club. Because you know the back, the backroom team, and everybody is him, and we go to a situation that, and hopefully it's not. I mean, he's going. It's inevitable he's going to leave eventually. You would think, you know, when Klopp's had enough at Liverpool, if Steven Gerrard's finished his apprenticeship in Scotland, he's you know probably going to end up there. But then when you look at you know managers that have left really successful football teams when Wenger left Arsenal after a long career, Morso, Fergie, Bill Shankly. Um, with Bill Shankly, he did seem as if he had um, people underneath him that were able to step in and continue. But, you know, Man United have been the perfect example when Matt Busby left. Um, there was a few barren years and obviously, after Sir Alex left at Manchester mm -hmm. United, major problems there. And I know let's concentrate on the immediate future and the success and the enjoyable days we'll have. But I hope there is some sort of progression planning so that when Stevie leaves and he takes with him, you know, Gary McAllister and takes with him all is the doctors and the physios and everyone else. Let's hope, you know, there's someone... Um, in, in line to take over, but that I sort of went off as I normally do with a bit of a tangent there. Let's look. <laughs> no, it's fine. Let, 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 let's be positive and look to the present. And um, I, I just want to get back, even if I come back in our next game, we get beaten. It would just be great to actually be in that car, back up to Glasgow, going to watch a game. And I'd take a bit, I'd take a defeat in the first game I came back, as long as it meant we were back. But once football does get back and sorted, you might have a mini almost having to start again. But um, like I said, at the moment it's about it's football's 
might sound stupid coming from a bloke. I've been 128 games this season. <laughs> or I have, oh, oh, I've got, you know, I'm in my office, so I'll give you a little... Um, I've been to 10, 20, 28 Borough games, 10, 20, 38 Rangers games this season. And I've even been, I've even been to 20 Hartley Pool and various other ones. I've seen Middlesbrough under 23s play 12 times. <laughs> um, I, I just love my football, um, you know, and, and I'm missing it. But then, what can you do? You know, know. it's not safe at the moment. Um, the only thing that leaves me scratching my head is on the Thursday night, I was in Ibrox with 50,000 against Bayer Leverkusen. Yep. On the on the um, Friday night, I was doing a sportsman's event down in Coventry. And on the Saturday afternoon, uh, on the way home, it was an international shutdown weekend, I think. Um, Darlington were playing. Um, and uh, I went to watch Darlington on the way back to Middlesbrough. And since then, like everyone else, absolutely nothing. And, you know, I mean, I know season cards are out now and one thing and another, but you don't mind paying your money out and joining my jurors and everything else when you think, oh, there's a match to go to in a few weeks' time. At the moment, you know, um, I know you've got the lovely backdrop of Ibrox on, on the screen while I'm looking at your ugly mug. At least I've got Ibrox. Um, <laughs> at least I've got Ibrox behind you to look at, which makes it nice and... Uh, I just can't envisage the next time I'm actually going to be up there in those seats watching the game. But hopefully, when you get to my age, you wouldn't whether you'll, you'll last long enough. <laughs> um, but hopefully, I'll be back, and hopefully, um, the Rangers family. That you know, I mean, you say hello to literally hundreds of people when I when I come up, I go in the um, in the hotel on um, Paisley Road West, park up, come. Um, my pals have a, a drink or seven before the game. I'm usually, <laughs> I'm usually driving. But then on the way to the game, you're talking to everybody, you're seeing regular faces. It is home from home. And, um, you know, this is probably the longest, other than a close season, this is the longest I've gone in the past eight or nine years without seeing my pals up in Scotland. And uh, oh. it hurts. But, you know, we're in touch, as I think most people are, And the problem is up here is that we go into fever pitch because we don't have any football. Well, it's not as good as the real thing. We, we we go into fever pitch up here because we don't have any football. You know, so it's like now that you're getting the what's happening with the league season, what's happening with the next season, yeah. what's, and it's just chaos because nobody knows. It's the same down here. I mean, fortunately, I, I just had a knee replacement operation at the beginning of February and supposed to sort of gradually get that back into action and go to the swimming pool so that you're doing non-weight-bearing exercise. Well, I'm like Forrest Gump. <laughs> I'm, I'm, out, I'm out walking every day. In, in, April, in, in, in April, I walked 155 miles. In fact, if I'd have, instead of just going around the estate and the woods and the river, if I'd have kept on walking, I'd have almost been to Glasgow by now. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, you just filling your time in and fortunately I'm not in the car listening to the radio and um, you know when you turn the television on I just turn it off because people are arguing about this should happen that should happen it's a 
it, it, it's rubbish, really. They're just filling airtime because no one knows. I mean, government, I just cannot... I mean, this time next week, something might have happened and um, makes me look a bit foolish, but I just cannot see any responsible government saying, oh, yeah, go on, get back to playing football. That's not a problem. Yep. Whilst the rest, the rest of us can't go and watch, we can't go to the pub, we can't... You know, you've got to queue up again. The supermarket, the shops are closed. Um, football, if you're a football fan like we are, football's important. Mm -hmm. But if you're not a football fan, and there's probably more people out there in the country who aren't interested in football than, um, than you know, people like ourselves, they must be totally pissed off when they're turning the television on or picking up a paper and he's just bleating on about, we want to go to a pub match and you know they can't they they can't go to funerals and they can't go to christenings and they can't go to anything else um it, it it just it puts everything into significance doesn't it so we'll we'll win one day at the end of this we'll be back hopefully we'll be back. but at least oj if you can turn you can turn on the radio and know have some people who are in the pundits in Scotland talking to you twenty four seven you can shut I, off for the Rangers side <laughs> I always say Apart from the travelling, those Rangers fans, and I mean, there are thousands. People go on because I come up from Middlesbrough. I love seeing it on um, when they come from the, the supporters bus comes up from uh, Plymouth. I mean, bloody hell. It's a week's holiday from Plymouth to Glasgow and back. And they come up. For, I mean, there's people flying from London. There's people, obviously, hundreds and hundreds coming across from uh, Northern Ireland. There's fans much more loyal than I, I would ever be, you know, unbelievable support. But all of us have one distinct advantage. We can go and watch Rangers and then we can go home and get on with life. Yeah. And, you know, I, I say to all my pals in Scotland, I said, I couldn't live up here. I couldn't live there because I like going up, I like going out, I like seeing my pals. But, you know, 24-7, the media and everything and... You know, it's like down here at the moment where the media are going mad about when's the Premier League coming back and when's this going to happen. But, you know, it, it's 24-7 up in, in Glasgow and um, it is nice in a way to get in that car, get on the M74 and drive back to um, a little bit of normality. Peace. And yeah, and, and pe people turn around to me and say, what do you think of this? What do you think of this decision? What do you think of that? And I say, I haven't got a clue, mate. I don't do politics, I'm not interested, and I'm still like that. Now, I know it's important, and some of the things going on, and, you know, all this crap that's going on at the moment with, with the SFA and everything, I know it's important, I know it's vital, but it just doesn't float my boat. My love for Glasgow Rangers is about my friends that I go to the games with and about watching the team, whoever puts the shirt on, whether they're good enough, whether they're as good as Gazda, of course they're not. Whether they're as good as, <laughs> you know, and whether they're as good as Loudrop, of course they're not. You know, that's gone. Just think yourself lucky. Hey, if you'd supported Middlesbrough all your life, you wouldn't be talking about winning cups and 54 titles. You'd be willing to talk about one fucking trophy in the history of the club. Have a reality check. And, um, I, I, I wind, I wind pals of mine up in Scotland. I said, "Hey, you want to, you want to support a shit team? You know, you want, you want to follow football where winning is a bonus, not a, <laughs> you know, a necessity, not an expectation." So 
I'm sorry, the politics and everything else, um, they don't interest me. And all I want to do is get back in that stadium and see 11 blue shirts, well, 10 blue shirts and the goalie. Um, <laughs> but, um, and whoever wears that shirt, I'll support them. And I think most people are of that way. Yeah. You know, most people are like that. But as you rightly say, the, the media up there, they've got to, there's such an interest, they've got to create... Um, there are people in the media who are wonderful wind-up merchants. Um, and they, you, you do one of three things in Scotland. One, you don't commit to either of those two teams. And you sit on the fence or you commit to one or the other. And if you commit to one or the other, you do it with full force <laughs> and full loyalty. So I can hardly be critical of some people that have pinned the colours to the Celtic mast and go, you know, sing their praises and look at everything positively from their point of view because I'm on the other side of the fence with okay. other people who have done it exactly the same. There's one person whose name I won't mention on here, not the most popular former Celtic player, <laughs> who's very prominent in most media outlets um, <laughs> on television and everywhere else. And I saw him when he was working for BT or someone. He was, he was at a game at Middlesbrough a couple of seasons ago. And I just looked at him and I went, you're not as daft as you look, you, are you? And he says, what do you mean? I said, you've created a lovely little niche for himself by being controversial. And, you know, he's, he's looking after number one. He's got regular spots. He's, he's earning more in a week than most of us are earning in uh, six months. Um, <laughs> So, you know, from his point of view, um, he can take a little bit of crap from Rangers fans and show on the other foot that are former Rangers players that avidly stick up for Rangers. They, they're going to be getting grief from the other side. So if the cap fits, wear it. But I'm glad to be wearing a blue one. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jeff, that's kind of us. Just finally, I think... I'd like to ask you if I could get you back on when VAR's introduced in an old film game, just to get your views. Oh, <laughs> I, thought got, I thought we'd gone through VAR. The great thing, apart from a million and one other reasons, the great thing about supporting Rangers and Middlesbrough is that Middlesbrough playing the championship, Rangers playing Scotland. Hartlepool, Darlington, Stockton, Spennymoor and everyone else who I watch locally, they play in non-league football. One common denominator, none of us have fucking VAR. <laughs> so we can watch football, we can talk about football and we're not talking about someone's bloody toenail being offside. Uh, VAR, as we saw, and again, I'm not going to, I don't go out to win friends and influence people. That's why I was a reverie. But <laughs> we saw VAR working properly in the Rangers Bear Leverkusen game, where there was a handball, yep. it was a penalty. The referee is told something in his ear. He goes across, he rechecks it, he makes the decision, a penalty is awarded. I know 50,000 of us didn't agree with it and weren't very happy at the time, but that's VAR working properly. Pulling, I mean, you can't argue with the offside because by the letter of the law, if your fingernail or you took, well, not your fingernail because you can't score with your hand, but you're offside. That is the letter of the law. 
but that's against to me against the spirit of the law seeing wonderful goals chalked out for inches i think we should forget the offside aspect and say you've got to be there's got to be daylight with the match referee going across and he makes the final decision if that takes 30 seconds longer so what because I don't see as a referee how the referee can sell a decision on the football pitch when it's not his decision. You know, somebody's saying, we've had the benefit of looking at it from a different angle. Ref, we think you should have another look at it. I go across. If I'm still happy that my decision was right, fine. But if I realise that view has shown me something I hadn't previously seen, I'll make the decision. And that's how it seems to be working around the world. It's only almost the arrogance in England of people involved with the game wanting to do it their way. And I think this season, I mean, to be quite honest, I've not been interested in watching Premier League football because it's it's not matching day. It's VAR of the day. Mm -hmm. So in Scotland, when we're moaning about a lot of other things, at least at this moment in time, and let's be honest, when VAR comes in, we're going to love it when Celtic's goal in the cup finals ruled off. We're going to love it when something else goes in our favour against Celtic or against Aberdeen. But when it goes against us, we're not going to like it because that's what football fans do. And, and VAR didn't decide the cup final. Rangers had how many chances out with well, that? Well, to put you know that. You know that, I know that, but you're not going to win popularity contest if <laughs> no, you say that. No. It was a conspiracy. It was a conspiracy. <laughs> well, Jeff, anyway, I'd just like to thank you for your time. Um, been a great not guest. A problem. And to, to be quite honest, when you asked me if I'd have had a life, if there'd have been football to go to, I'd have told you to get lost. But <laughs> it's not like it's not like I've got anything else to do. Guess what? I, guess what I'm going to do now? What? Going out for a walk. <laughs> She would take it easy when you're not told that. <laughs> nah, nah. I'm, um, I'm going to do more than 155 miles this month. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Jeff, stay safe. It's been good to speak to you. All the best, pal. Speak to you you too. Cheers. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.